0: Elder Paul Dunn told me the first time that I was asked to speak in the Tabernacle some 12 years ago that if I could just get rid of the little cotton man, the guy who puts cotton balls in your mouth when you get up to the Tabernacle. And so I I pray for an interest in your faith and prayers this morning so much. It is such an awesome responsibility to be here. I've told many today as I have told many over the years. I enjoy a smaller setting. I enjoy being in a classroom situation with a smaller group where an interaction can take place. Today I would like, on behalf of all of the brethren at this leadership time with so many people from outside the immediate area, I would like to thank you for all the things you do for us when we attend your conferences—your gentleness. You're accepting us—your Spirit. I tell you, we come home every weekend feeling the Spirit of our Father in Heaven. And Someone once asked us how we get recharged, and we say, by going into the field, by with the Latter-day Saints, wherever they are. We come back filled with the Spirit of our Father in Heaven. We thank you this day. The subject I would like to talk about today is very sacred and central to all that is done. A little story about President Spencer W. Kimball illustrates the point. On one of his many operations in the hospital, President Kimball was being wheeled into an operating room, and one of the orderlies took the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. And even though President Kimball was under sedation, he rose up and told the orderly not to take the name of his Savior in vain, for he was his friend and the Savior of the world. I would like to say a few words today about the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect leader. President David O. McKay gave these words in 1968 at a general conference. I quote, Now a word to you officers and teachers and leaders in the stakes and wards and missions and in the temples. It was the divine character of Jesus that drew the women of Palestine to him, that drew as a magnet the little children to him. It was the divine personality which attracted men, honest men, pure men. It was also that divine personality which antagonized the impure, the evil men and women. In the realm of personality, he continues, in the kingdom of character, Christ was supreme. By personality I mean all that may be included in individuality. Personality is a gift from God. It is indeed a pearl of great price an eternal blessing." Of quote. Jesus Christ was the supreme leader about whom not enough could ever be said, for his task was to lead all mankind back to the Father in heaven, to give us all the unlimited potential of eternal lives and its blessings. We almost walk on sacred ground as we approach any phase of his life, his character, his personality, his atonement for us, and his leadership to bring it all about. Not enough can ever be said or done about this elder brother of ours, the Holy One of Israel. His majesty and leadership transcends the loftiest loftiest of our thinking and actions. He was and is the central figure to the creation of this earth, our placement upon it, and all of the things that involve us. He was not just a manager of all of this, but he was the leader, the initiator, and by inspiration and direction from his Heavenly Father has directed us. Imagine the problem first and the painstaking plan to affect all the children of God by the plan of God. Life would be divided into three essential parts—a pre-earth life, when we had so much, and were, and were in the presence of our Father in Heaven and His Son, and has progressed as far as we could go, and then an earth life, when the children of God would come to work to earth to work out their probation and look for a model along the way an example, the sure way, and then this post-earth life where eternal opportunities, accountability, and blessings would be given. Imagine the logistics and and the principles involved in moving the billions of his sons and daughters through the process of having them shout for joy just to come to earth. Many of us have a hard time moving from one residence to another let alone building a habitation on which to live, establishing eternal truths that would guide mankind, managing and handling the trillions and trillions of actions that would run counter to the plan of God and that would frustrate nearly every effort of man, and in providing absolute justice and mercy for all—not always immediate, but always certain. Think of the plan of God in its review and acceptance by God and us, even though God knew of its value and efficacy before it was ever presented. It was accepted. Jesus, our brother, was accepted. The same Jesus knew that he would be a part and he would be the creator of this mortal habitation. He would be the Lamb, the mediator, the redemptor, and that all the children, between all of the children, and their Father in heaven, the one who would atone for us, the sure guide, absolute in every way. The leader in all its dimensions and now contemplate his leadership over, work over the centuries, the creation of the earth and all things thereon, even man and woman, his counsel and communication with the prophets, Old Testament and Book of Mormon, his prophecies that would be given about his own coming forth to be the firstborn of God, his leadership among the people, his example, his establishment of truth, his Church, the ordinances. Any one of these would be overwhelming to contemplate with a normal mind. His great service for all mankind, his atonement for all the children of God with their Father. All through the centuries, he was involved in preparing all things to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of all men, living and dead. Those years were spent in leading behind the scenes and also in preparing to lead personally. I'd like to give you a little experience, an example. About one little tiny dimension of trying to lead a wayward son. A year and a half ago, I was assigned to go to a stake in New Mexico. The normal route would have been to go through Albuquerque, New Mexico, and take a car and drive to Grants, New Mexico. But for some reason, I was impressed that I must go to Gallup, New Mexico, and get a car there. And it meant taking a little tiny plane. I was the only passenger on the plane with two, two uh, conductors, pilots. It was a it was a terrible windy day. I wasn't sure we were going to arrive. And as a matter of fact, one of my best boyhood friends was killed in the Albuquerque area that very Saturday. He and his wife and part of his family because of some serious downdrafts in the wind. So we arrived at Gallup. I was very, very happy to land. And I went into the airport and I took my driver's license and put it on the desk to pick up my car and went into the room to wash my hands. When I came back, the, the gentleman there said, Mr. Paramore, I'm sorry, I can't let you have a car. Why not? Your driver's license has expired. <laughs> expired a week earlier on my birthday. I was unaware, and I didn't feel like I could put any pressure on him as a general authority. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, well, I'll call the bishop in Gallup, New Mexico. And I got on the phone and got hold of the bishop, and he was on his way out of the door to go perform a marriage ceremony. And I said, I'm Elder Paramore. And he said, Who? (laughs) Like many of you, probably today. And I told him, and he didn't believe it. And I said, Well, if you can't, could you get somebody to help me get over there? And he said, I'll see what I can do. But I knew that he didn't believe that I was there. Because he said, We don't have a conference here today. What are you doing in Gallup? I was. I was out of my pattern. I was out of the route that I should have taken. Sitting over in the corner of this room was a young man and his teenage son dressed in tank top and construction clothes—clean, long-haired, but dressed in construction clothes. He came over to the desk and he said, I understand you're in a little trouble. And he said, I, was, I just came by to get some applications to take flying lessons and I heard you were in trouble. Could I take you somewhere? And I said, You would be a great Christian if you could. And I explained my dilemma. He said, You buy my gas and I'll drive you over. 62 miles away. And so we got in this old, old, worn out car, filled with junk. And we started towards Grants, New Mexico. On the way, I asked what every Latter day Saint would ask what do you know about the Mormons? Do you know anything about them? Have you ever been to Salt Lake City? Have you seen the Book of Mormon?" And to all those answers, they were affirmative answers. And then when I asked him if, if he knew the Book of Mormon was true, there was a long, long pause. And finally he responded and said, I'm an elder in the Church. And two years ago, My wife left me for another man, left me and my two children for another man. I was a member of the branch presidency where I live, and the members of my church cut me off and blamed me for the departure of my wife. We've never been able to go back because of those feelings. Do I know if the Book of Mormon's true? Brother Paramore, I know who you were. I've read it many times and I know it's as true as anything on this earth. And as an hour and a half passed for me to drive with him to Grants, I began to see that I was sitting in the presence of a great man of God. That he knew the gospel was just as true as I did. They'd been harmed and hurt by Latter day Saints and they hadn't been back. And we had a wonderful discussion and I've written him every week and sent him copies of the church news every week and given him other things to read, and he's making great progress. Now, what have you think? Five, mil- five billion people upon the earth, and here's one man out in the wilderness whom the Lord causes a general authority unbeknownst to what he was doing, redirecting his path. It could have been anyone, but it happened to be me. And When I came home that day, I knew. That God loved all of his children. Jesus is the perfect leader. How he does it, I don't know. But he's the perfect leader. Jesus taught us that good leaders show us what we should do and then create an environment in which we can do it. In the several scriptures, let me read you just one out of Nephi. And as I have prayed among you, even so shall ye pray in my church among my people who do repent and are baptized in my name. Behold, I am the light, and I have set the example for you. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." I have said as far as from here to Brother Matthews several times when the prophets have been sustained, presently and President Kimball. I was the recorder, and I was sitting on the stand and watching them as I watched President Benson also. And I remember their words. Jesus is the head of this Church. Yes, I know I am the prophet, but Jesus of Nazareth leads this Church. He is at the helm. He presides. Several characteristics that I like to just talk about, and there are many, I've selected just a few. He was motivated, this Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect leader, by a love of God and by a love of his fellow men—us, his brothers and sisters. You remember the classic statement in Matthew, which kind of lays this as the cornerstone for everything. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, master, which is a great commandment in the law. And Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is cardinal and it is in first place among all the things that he would have us know as the leader. God sent Jesus to the earth as an expression of his love, Jesus' atonement for God and his fellow man. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Can any one of us imagine the feelings of God in those last hours of Jesus' life? when he was going to go through agonizing pain beyond anything anyone had ever experienced ever before. Jesus declares this to his followers in John, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. We love each other in this kingdom. A Latter-day Saint should never be a trial to another Latter-day Saint. A Latter-day Saint is one who makes goodness look attractive, if you will, makes love an integral part of all we do. Next, Jesus did the will of his Father, but behold, my beloved Son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Unlike Satan, he wanted to do the will of his father. It's important to kind of focus on that point because there are many implications. For those who want to do the will, it is easy to be led by a prophet. It is easy to be led by a righteous father or mother or by a bishop who is doing everything he can do to help build a kingdom. Jesus further declared, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. There is an example of one of our Latter-day prophets that I would like to share with you today about the will, following the will. How many times Do we have the opportunity to make that kind of a decision to determine whether we will follow God or mammon. It is cardinal to our progression. It is cardinal to the Spirit being with us. It is cardinal to personal righteousness. It is cardinal to bringing us to be of one mind and one heart in this kingdom. On Sunday, the fourth day of June, 1837, Says Heber C. Kimball, the prophet came to me while I was seated in front of the stand above the sacrament table on the uh, Melchizedek Priesthood side of the temple in Kirtland and whispered to me, Brother Heber, the Spirit of the Lord has whispered to me, Let my servant Heber go to England and proclaim my gospel and open the door to that nation. Imagine what happened after after this prompting by the Lord. The day of departure came, Tuesday, June 13, 1837. The solemn scene of Heber's parting with his family can no more be tenderly or graphically told in the words of Robert B. Thompson, who thus describes it. The day appointed for the departure of the elders to England having arrived, I stepped into the house of Brother Kimball to ascertain when we would start, as I expected to accompany him a couple of hundred miles into Canada. The door being partly open, I entered and felt struck with a sight which presented itself to my view. I would have retired, thinking that I was intruding, but I felt riveted to the spot. The Father was pouring out his soul to that, that God would grant him a prosperous voyage across the mighty ocean and make him useful wherever his lot should be cast, and that he who careth for sparrows and feedeth the young ravens when they cry, would supply the wants of his wife and little ones in his absence. He then, like the patriarchs and by virtue of his office, laid his hands upon their heads individually, leaving a father's blessing upon them and commending them to the care and protection of God while he, was, well, he should be engaged preaching the gospel in a foreign land. While thus engaged, his voice was almost lost in the sobs of those around who tried in vain to suppress them. The idea of being separated from their protector and father for so long a time was indeed painful. He proceeded, but his heart was too much affected to do so regularly. His emotions were great, and he was obliged to stop at intervals while the big tears rolled down his cheeks and indexed to the feelings which reigned in his bosom. My heart was not stout enough to refrain. In spite of myself, I wept and mingled my tears with theirs. At the same time I felt thankful that I had had the privilege of contemplating such a scene. I realized nothing could induce that man to tear himself from so affectionate a family group, from his partner and children who were so dear to him—nothing but a sense of duty, a love of God, an attachment to his cause a commitment, if you will, to the will of God. Jesus taught his followers, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Mark tells us, Now after the John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath they entered into the synagogue and taught. And He taught through stories and examples. He matched the illustrations of the needs of people and built his lessons upon things they understood. Think of Luke 15 alone. It's a very short chapter, but in that chapter he uses three wonderful examples the prodigal son, the lost sheep, and the loss of a piece of silver to describe how important it would be to reclaim someone back into, his, into the arms of God so that we would all understand. President David O. McKay stated these words, No matter how attractive the personality may be. That leader or teacher fails in the work assigned if the leader or teacher directs the love of the member only to the personality of the leader or teacher. It is the leader's duty or the teacher's duty to teach the member to love, not the leader or teacher, but the truth of the gospel. Always everywhere we find Christ losing himself for his Father's will. And so also should our leaders and teachers, so far as their personalities are concerned, lose themselves for the truth he desires to have taught. When the people came to Jesus and asked for bread or for the truth, he never turned them away with a stone. He always had truth to give. He understood it. It radiated from his being. He understood how to use illustrations. The natural things around him to impress the truth upon his hearers. In other words, he was filled with his subject and then was enabled to give that subject to the hearers. End of quote. Now look at our current prophet, President Ezra Taft Benson, how he has taught us to know, to use, and to give the blessings of the Book of Mormon to the world. I'll tell you an experience. When he was first called, all the General Authorities were invited to a meeting in the temple. I'll never forget it. We were there in the temple. We didn't know what we were going to hear from a brand-new prophet, but he said these words, Brethren, I've been reading your talks, your conference talks, and they're, they're, they're wonderful. But you don't talk about the Book of Mormon. And he said, I would like to, would you mind, he said, may I ask you to know it and to use it more effectively, to testify to the world and to have it go into every corner of the world. His words were profound. We walked back from that temple meeting sobered. I remember my steps. I remember who I was walking with. I remember what I was thinking. I remembered that as a director over audiovisuals in the church, I needed to do something about putting the Book of Mormon on tape into the lives of people. They need to understand the blessings of the Book of Mormon. And a two year experience started, which ended in uh, the great book, big, great video that we have in our libraries today. Today, 10 times or more copies of the Book of Mormon are sent to the world every year than ever before. And today, instead of 35 languages being translated into the Book of Mormon and the other scriptures, President Benson has set an objective to have all of the major languages translated by the year 2000. And so there are translators around the country working on about 80 languages that need to be done. Prophet of God, not afraid to tell the truth, not afraid to challenge the people, not afraid to teach what he had to teach in his gentle, loving, supportive way. Yes, Jesus taught his followers personally but also vicariously through his scriptures through all generations of time. Jesus used leadership skills—no coercion, no gentleness, but gentleness, meekness, kindness, just a simple come follow me. He listened. Remember the story of the adulterous woman? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, seemingly not hearing them, and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had not heard them. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. uh, President Kimball has given some wonderful thoughts on leadership skills about the prophet. Listen to these. They are just so marvelous. Jesus knew who he was and why he was here on the planet. That meant that he could lead from strength rather than from uncertainty or weakness. When a new new temple president is called, or a new president of a mission, or a new bishop is authorized, very often as general authorities we say to that person, Your name has been cleared by the Council of the Twelve Apostles and the Presidency of this Church. They have prayed over you and you have been called of the Lord. Carry that message with you wherever you go. You you can have the certainty that you have been called of the Lord. Jesus operated from a a base of fixed principles or truths rather than making up the rules as he went along. Thus his leadership style was not only correct but constant. Jesus said several times, Come, follow me. His was a program of do what I say. His innate brilliance would have permitted him to put on a dazzling display, but that would have left his followers far behind. He walked and worked with those he had to serve. I think these few thoughts right now are so important. He walked and worked with those he was to serve. His was not a long-distance leadership. He was not afraid of close friendships. He was not afraid that proximity to him would disappoint his followers. The leaven of true leadership, according to President Kimball, cannot lift others unless we are with and serve those to be led. These sisters on the first row here are my dearest friends. I love them so much. They are the auxiliary leaders of the church. And we spend countless hours together. And it is an honor for us to be together, to exchange thoughts and feelings and what needs to be done to help the young children of the church or whatever. It is a special experience to be with them. Jesus was a listening leader because he loved others with a perfect love. He listened without being condescending. Because Jesus loved his followers, he was able to level with them, to be candid and forthright with them. Jesus saw sin as wrong, but he was also able to see sin as springing from deep and unmet needs on the part of the sinner, thus permitting him to condemn the sin without condemning the sinner or the individual. We can show forth our love for others even when we are called upon to correct them. We need to be able to look deeply into the lives of others to see the basic causes for their failures and misunderstandings. President Kimball has given many, many other thoughts. Let me just read one or two others. Jesus trusted his followers enough to share his work with them so they would grow. Jesus was not afraid to make demands of those he led. His leadership was not condescending or soft, but he did make his demands known. I remember an experience President Kimball had with Navy chief of chaplains a couple of years ago. We invite the chiefs of chaplains to come to church headquarters to, so that we can continue our wonderful relationship with them and continue our chaplaincies throughout the uh, services. This chaplain's first trip to the, to, to the church, he came, Elder Hanks was with him. They saw the various leaders, they came to BYU, they went to Temple Square, they saw what we were doing of the chaplaincy and so forth. And finally, they were to meet with the prophet, Spencer W. Kimball. And on that day, We were trying desperately to get more Navy chaplains. President Kimball had been trying for years and the other brethren without success. And they had this wonderful talk and it went on about an hour. And four or five times during the conversation, this Navy chief of chaplains said, President, is there anything we can do for you? And President Kimball said, No, I don't think so. We just love our servicemen and women so much we want to do everything we can for them. And he'd go on and they'd talk and he'd say, Well, isn't there something I can do? Well he'd finally ended up, he said, Well, would it be of any help if if we let you have more chaplains in the United States Navy? Well, I think that'd be just wonderful if that's what you'd like to do. <laughs> the perfect example of never demanding but inviting. And when they walked out of that building that day, out to the front steps of the church office building, and they stopped, and this man who would be a counterpart to an archbishop in his Catholic church stopped on the front steps and looked at Elder Hanks and said, There is a holy man of God. And Elder Hanks said, He is a wonderful man. And he said, Elder Hanks, that is not what I said. He is a holy man of God. Think about his leadership style and all the things he did, his being with the people constantly. He set an example of personal righteousness, and time will not permit us. We need to end. Let me just say that his righteousness was the thing that drew people to him. He was ever a minister to his people. He said these words in Matthew, I'll just give you this one quotation, Know ye that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they they that are great exercise authority upon them. But he said, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you, Let him be your minister. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make thee a minister, and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and those things which I shall appear unto thee, ministers of the spirit as well as of the physical body. Jesus the perfect leader. We could conduct seminars in all of the hundred classes that you're conducting during this week about him, about each of these dimensions, and, and hundreds of others. But I would just say in closing, he loved the Lord. He loved his fellow men. He loved being with them. It was never a strain for him to be with them. You read Third Nephi, 18th chapter, 17th chapter, and you find after a long day, he finally exerts the people, Go to your homes, ponder over that which I've said, and then come back tomorrow. In the meantime, there are other sheep which are not of this fold, I must also visit them. But the people didn't want to leave, and he sensed that they didn't. And so he said, Bring all your sick to me. And so all the sick, the lame, the infirmed, were brought, and each one was healed. And after that he said, Where are your little children? And he brought all the little children to him. And he after a while he set them on the ground, and then he knelt down on the ground by them and talked to them and ministered unto them. And it was such a wonderful day that the heavens were parted, and the angels came out of heaven blessing this day and giving acknowledgement to this super wonderful elder brother of ours. Now, we can hear his message—love, personal righteousness, exercising right leadership principles, no coercion, study. I see, I've, I've met a man in conclusion I'd like to tell you about. He lives in Magna Central State, and about a year ago I went to a state conference. And in the evening meeting on Saturday, they had a video about this man, John Cash, and it was a video about a man who was a paraplegic, and I could not believe what I was seeing. He was a man who, at age 27, just recently out of the military service, had gone to work for Kennecott Copper, and he was working up on one of the high areas and fell 35 feet, and because of that fall became a paraplegic and for thirty-one years has lived in his bed. His legs are so malformed now in his fingers and all that it tears you apart when you go visit him. He knew nothing about Christ. He knew nothing about his Church. He knew nothing about righteousness when he had that fall, but little by little he began to study the words of this great leader, this great teacher. He began to take them into his life and think about them, and pray about them. And he, and he became active. In the early years, he was able; they were able to take him in a wheelchair and take him through the house of the Lord. And for 27 years, beloved brothers and sisters, a paraplegic has been doing his home teaching to six families every month. He does it over the phone. He has a woman who, has a, who rings the number, and on the first or second day of every month he calls up his six families, John, how are you, how's your wife, how are the kiddies, how are they doing, is there anything I can do for you, and on and on. I have a little message I'd like to leave with you tonight that the prophet has asked us to share with you, and over the phone, with the children holding on to a couple of receivers, delivers his message. I went over to see him after the conference. I was so touched. And I saw his wall. He had a great big long wall in his basement. He lives in a basement. He had a great big long wall with pictures of missionaries and couples who had been married in the house of the Lord. And a picture from of President Reagan and, and, and many, many others. And I learned that every month he writes to every serviceman in the stake. And every month he writes to every missionary and tells them about how Magna's is doing in their games and, and all about the community and about the gospel, all he can. And do you know how he does it? He types his own letters, he puts a pencil in his mouth, and he pushes the typewriter with his mouth. The bishop told me that when they want people to go to the temple, they have John Cash call invite them to go to the temple. When they want somebody to work on the welfare farm, (laughs) they have Brother John Cash call. Beloved brothers and sisters, he has followed the mandate, the example of Jesus of Nazareth, and he's become a lot like him. And he's blessed and accepted by thousands of people who have known him over those 27 years that he has been exercising the leadership that is unbelievable. May God bless us with all of our facilities and with the Spirit and the priesthood we have and the hundreds of thousands of priesthood leaders and and the greatest, most committed women on the earth that I know about. May he bless us to love more, serve more, minister more teach more, help more than we do. That's the message that I would like to leave, and I think it's the message that Jesus left and that prophets have emulated in their lives—all of them that I've known. May God bless us. I leave you my personal testimony that I know Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I know that he loves me And that He loves all of His children, and I know that He cares about me even even when I'm estranged and far away from His immediate watch care. May God bless us to think about this this day and always. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information.